Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right. Hello and welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining the Monroe Live podcast. Today, I'm going to be your host. I'm Scott Hoffman. And with me today, I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Peter Dow, uh, VP of Engineering at Re Automotive. Dr. Dow, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome. Appreciate you coming on. That's good. Um, yeah, pleased to be here. <laughs> Looking forward to our chat. Looking forward to our chat. Excellent. Absolutely. Us as well. I know it's been it's been fun. We kind of have continued to encounter different members of the re team at various like trade shows. I know we saw some of the folks at, I think we talked to Kim Mathers at CES, David Black at Work Truck Week, and we've seen the product kind of continuing to evolve and learn a little bit more. So for sure, we're excited to have you on today to learn a little bit more about the company, the product, and then obviously you and the role that you've played and continue to play in bringing this to life. Um, so maybe kind of first off to get uh, things rolling for, uh, for the uninitiated or folks who might not be familiar with the company or what you guys do, maybe you could just summarize who is Reautomotive, what kind of products do you offer, and then what's your role at the company? So to start with, Re is a, is a technology company that's looking to really change the, um, the way that we engineer electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. So we've got, um, we've got a very novel solution, which is to take all of the, the propulsion, the braking and the steering systems and, and encompass that within a wheel, within the wheel system itself. So mm -hmm. everything is localized to the wheel and the wheel arch. And that is then a, a common unit that is used across all four corners of, of, of the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Coming with that, you get all of the by-wire systems. So we, when we talk about the drive and the brakes and the steering, they're all by-wire. There's no physical connection between the driver and, and, and our corner. Mm -hmm. of the wheels it's all, it's all electronic so that, that brings with it a host of benefits which hopefully we can we, we can talk about yeah yeah um my, my role in this is that i've been now with re for just over two years mm -hmm. i was brought in to put together the uk team so i'm based in in coventry in, in in the uk okay um we've got a team of about 150 people now in the uk which are focused on taking our product to production so this this team in the uk is very much the the engineering and the um, development team that are going to put that corner product, our platforms, our first vehicles into production. Okay. Um, my, my background is I've been working in automotive for over 25 years. I um, I started off with the Ford Motor Company. I actually did a PhD with them on, okay. on bizarrely, bizarrely on kind of fuel injection and the old gasoline engine. It's come full circle. <laughs> Um, I've worked in a variety of kind of OEMs and tier ones and consultancies over the last 25 years. Yeah. Primarily on kind of technology introduction. You know, my, my job is to is to bring new ideas to the market and yeah. to build teams that can actually then deliver that technology. Yeah. And um, 
this this is the pinnacle of it. This is this is the most exciting part of my career so far. Yeah, no, and it, and I'm glad you mentioned that too, because in just yeah, doing a little research, it was fascinating to see. You know, you mentioned sort of your journey and the different OEMs that you've been with and suppliers and consultancies. You know, I was looking to just where some of those are based. You've you've had a lot of different. Um, cultural experiences with that as well, right? German o German suppliers and Indian uh, yeah. OEMs. And I think it was like, yeah, Chinese, British. You've kind of spanned the full gambit here. Um, curious, yeah. I don't think were any of those, is this your first startup technically? Bizarrely, I started, um, I started 25 years ago with a company called Tarragon, which was a very small startup based oh, okay. out of Cambridge based out of Cambridge University. And we did a lot of control electronics for the Ford Motor Company. Okay. So that was my first startup, but they didn't call them startups back then. Okay, they were just, what was the term back then? Yeah, it wasn't, they were just small businesses that just started out. <laughs> um, but this is my first, this is my first venture into a, a full-blown kind of startup. But I think um, we, talk, we talk about this a lot. When we look at the technology and we look at the people we're employing, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's the startup thing is is a label what you're actually looking for is kind of innovators you're looking for people that want to put a product out there that's sure. different that, that will challenge will challenge the norm and um so i'm not a great i'm not a great believer in the startup name i'm just a great sure. believer in saying we're, we're a technology firm that are putting good that are going to put good products out there i like it avoiding the labels solid makes sense <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for the context there no it's really it's neat to see yeah. Well, and I guess, again, the whole full circle thing started with a smaller company that was doing some innovative things and did some of that more in some mature and established places and have now come back to where you're on the front lines with a with a bit of a smaller firm that's obviously got ambitious growth goals. Very exciting. And, and I think you mentioned you mentioned my global footprints and I have. I've yeah. worked in Germany. I've worked quite a bit in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, I spent five, actually five years living in China and working in China. OK. Um, and you 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 take a. Um, you take an element of everything you go through I'm sure. when you work with this, and um, I've tried to I've tried to bring along some of that. And I, I often talk again about this in a startup. Let's call it a startup in a in a global business, which re is you know we're, we're US, we're UK, we're Israel. Um, it's all about listening. It's all about listening to the talent you have around you, uh, and it's all about kind of gathering in all of those ideas. And that's something we're really keen on. Is is there's no fixed idea. There's no fixed way of doing it. If you were to kind of think about what we've got as a product, you can see we've come from a really blank sheet of paper and said, let's think about this differently. Let's think yeah. about a solve the mobility solution. And we try and take that all the way through our business, not just from engineering, but also in purchasing and in kind of every other aspect we do. Sure. No, fantastic. And and it's been interesting too. Like, and I don't know, in I know some of this predates when you were involved with the company, but it was just fascinating even to hear how the company evolved um, to get to where it's currently at. I think always like in the mobility space, but it sounded like it was like even like wheelchairs and bike suspension systems. And that kind of has morphed over time to become what it is today. Um, yeah. That that to me was fascinating. And I, and I think, so you're in Coventry, right? I think yes, that was right. like, that has some ties to like the birthplace of bicycles, right? So there's maybe some parallels there. Um, Absolutely, we've we've got a statue in the center of Coventry for the guy that invented the bicycle. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah so it. maybe it was meant to be. Was that something like intentional that the team sought out that to tie back to the the reheritage? I think. I think actually, when we looked at where we wanted to to build the the kind of engineering um, the engineering team, 
we did look at um, a, a lot of different options, but the the kind of the Midlands in the UK, the Coventry area, has got so much history, as you just mentioned, mm -hmm. not just in on bicycles, but automotive and yeah, aerospace. Yeah, just mobility in general. Didn't uh, the first, like, um, sort of the British motor industry started in Coventry, right? With Exactly. And, and, and with that, you get um, not just the engineers. So we've got a very, very strong pool of engineers, a, lot, a very strong talent pool that we could, we could pick from. Um, but you've also got suppliers that can work with you. You've also got engineering services you can work with. You've also got test centers that are nearby that are attuned to what you need. Sure. You know, so, so um, and there is a, there is a bit of a can-do attitude. So that, that's been one of the things that's been key to where we located in the UK. Yeah. Very neat. And so then this, I guess you've, you've lived in a ton of different places, obviously spent time all over the world. How does, how does your current location compare? Oh, wow. That's, that's the, <laughs> I think, um, what we've got at the moment is this is the most focused I've been in, in my career Sure. in terms of, in terms of, we've got a team. Um, and one of, one of the key messages from me is that we're trying to be very focused on delivering the product we've got. And we can talk a bit more about that. Sure. But, uh, as a business, we are very, very focused. And it's the first time I've been in a business where you've got all the elements of the business focused, you, you're manufacturing, you're engineering, you're mm -hmm. purchasing, your finance, everybody's together, focused on what we want to do. Mm -hmm. In other businesses I've been, you become very kind of distributed and you get silos and you get lots of different kind of um, politics within that. We're, sure. we're, we've been raided. So I think geography isn't the thing. I think that the culture that we've brought in and that they've brought with us of being focused and being innovative is, is what I'm really, really, really enjoying. Yeah. Excellent. 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 So I know um, one thing that's jumped out to us that's been really fascinating, and, and maybe this is a byproduct of some of what you're noting, the culture and moving quickly and iterating and optimizing. But I know when we initially saw the recorner concept, I think it was at CES, there was a version of it there. And not too much later, when we saw it at Work Truck Week, there was a completely sort of new and optimized version of it, right? And it was fascinating to see. I think that's something more recently in the automotive space that we've seen is sort of this challenging of the normal development cycle and how quickly things iterate and really moving more towards like, and it's interesting when you introduce the company and calling it like a technology company and, and focusing on some of the software, I think a lot of companies are trying or, or either trying to or being forced to sort of rectify that transition to where, you know, conventional automotive development cycles or product development cycles, years and years, that just doesn't fly as much anymore. So it's obvious yeah. you guys are moving quickly. Um, I'd imagine as VP of engineering, you're probably leading the team that's making those optimization efforts take place. Like, I was curious, maybe you could tell us from like that initial version we saw to the new one, like how how that optimization process works within your team and is it has it reached its final form or, or are, are we still on an iterative path here uh, as we head yeah. to production? This is a really good question. So we've, you're right, we started off with what we call our B sample, which is what you first saw, which mm -hmm. was the, the, first, the first corner that we, um, that we engineered in the UK. Mm -hmm. and, and that was, that was done to be very fast to get a product together and, and conventionally you would design something, you would then do some analysis, you might then refine it, you then build it, you then test it, and then once you've got the test results, you go into the next phase. Mm -hmm. And we realized to, to get our product to market, we can't follow that sequential kind of timeline. We've got to sure. run a few things in parallel. A few things in parallel. 
So we, we, what we started to do was say, right, okay, once we've got the first design done, before we've even done any testing, let's, let's test it in the virtual world. Let's get it into, into simulation, into software and understand we know working with some of our partners, what sort of loads that vehicle is going to experience, what sort of environment that's, that vehicle is going to be in. And we can, from the virtual world, we can then look at how we optimize it. And we actually then ran a load of virtual um, kind of road tests, evaluations, sure, sure. Uh, FE on it to understand where it would be. So we could do that in parallel while we're also then testing the, the, the sample that we've built as sure, well. Sure. And then we correlate back. So we say, actually, and we don't need to be exact. We just need to understand that our deltas, if you like, our changes from one to the other are close enough. Yeah. So it's, it's it's running with things in parallel, having managed risk, because sure. there is always a risk, something, but it's, it's, it's a managed risk. And then making sure that you optimize as much as possible in the virtual world before you build something. Sure. And then yeah. once you build it, Beat it back. Yeah, yeah. No, and, it, and it's fascinating to hear. I, I think something that we've heard with clients that we work with recently is that, um, you know, the the correlation between the CAE, the FEA, the simulation, um, obviously there's going to be some correlation, and ideally it's, it's really tight, but it's been fascinating to see. I think when people talk about uh, Tesla specifically, there's some things they'll point out where like, man, I don't know how they ever – you know, how they ever arrived at that solution. And, and we've heard things that like people say, well, you know, there is correlation between the simulation and the physical, but sometimes you just have to build it and see how it happens, you know, see how yeah. it reacts and then sort of iterate from there. So co cool to hear that you guys are sort of in parallel paths doing the simulation, but also getting some physical product out there. I know, you know, when we looked at the first version of the product, obviously you guys have refined it, but even that first version, I mean, it wasn't all, you know, brake bent steel welded together kind of stick built. It was still featuring cast aluminum nodes and it still had like, it looked like forged aluminum links. So, you know, ostensibly it could have been a production intent thing, but yeah. it's neat to see it then come a step further. So yeah, just fascinating to see how that, how that's continuing to evolve. And, and we also, one of the, that we've got, um, we've got a number of key kind of performance requirements we want from our, our corners and also our platforms. And if you think, let's talk about this right the, yeah the, the, we call our p7 corner which is the corner we're talking about yep, is a yep. corner that, that can do from class three to class five products mm -hmm. so it's 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 got a range of applications for sure so you you know you have to look at the worst case scenario on that and you sure. engineer for the worst case and then you consider that you're going to carry some over engineering into the lower classes sure. right but you need you need to optimize that but with, within all of that there's also then you know, there's weight characteristics, there's then durability characteristics, there's lots of things that we need to engineer into that to make sure we're going through. So when we did the B sample, we, we, we wrote down those requirements and we engineered as close as we could to it. And, and one of the lessons is not just to stick with your, your requirements that you wrote right at the start, is to go back and revisit them and understand whether you've got your requirements right, sure. whether you've actually done, you've spec'd your targets correctly. And actually, we've set ourselves harder targets then for things like weight and things like later. Sure. So what what you're seeing with the with what we call the C sample, which is the new one you've talked about, which mm -hmm. is the production corner, is things where we've taken like 20%, 25% weight out of the corner because that was one of the things we felt wasn't good enough. Yeah. B sample, and we wanted to go forward. So it's it's constantly evolving. It's constantly looking for improvements. Is what we're trying to do. Yeah, and I know I think. 
it was David that we spoke to at one of the shows, but it, I think he noted like something like 40 or 50 pounds came out of each corner, which I mean, for the uninitiated, that's like a massive amount of weight to take out uh, in any vehicle um, and to get it, yeah, at the corners like that. Like I, I wouldn't at first blush have assumed there was that much weight to give. So kudos to the team for continuing to have yeah. that aggressive mentality there. And I think, yeah, the, the willingness to push back on requirements too, that's something that um, we're seeing that those who are trying to be competitive are needing to embrace that mentality, right? Because I think, um, you know, if I'm just transparent about like clients that come to us, if they're more established, I think that one of the, they can kind of use requirements as a, as a barrier or reason not to do things potentially. Um, but, you know, we're seeing as, as new folks are coming into the space and being willing to push on some of these, they either need to fall in line or they're going to potentially get left behind as far as some of that's concerned. So neat to hear that, that, uh, a healthy, uh, appetite for, revisiting requirements to see if they need to be increased or maybe reeled back or just balanced. I think not treating them like we're set, they're set in stone is probably a big advantage for, for the re-team. And, and, and I think the most important requirement is what does your customer want? For and sure. I think that's the thing where when you look at people like Tesla, they've taken that right from the start. And looking at, we always ask ourselves, what does the customer want from this? Sure. And it may be that engineers can always put in a list of requirements, but actually they don't link back to what the customer really wants. <laughs> you know? Sure. They're very good at that. So you have to keep challenging yourself on that. Yeah. That's one of our favorite things, I think, in uh, like workshops or design efforts with folks when you when you get that like requirement and you ask, well, what is this requirement? What is it based on? And, and it's like you play this game of 20 questions to try and get back to the genesis of where it even came from. And sometimes yes. you find that it's some like ridiculous unique scenario that happened 50 years ago and it's like okay maybe maybe it's time to reevaluate this um so yeah well and that's one of the advantages not having the burden of of a bunch of legacy baggage and requirements too but yeah fascinating yeah so so you mentioned customer requirements and i think this is one of the areas i'm super interested in is you know so say you know and and i think on the site or in various materials we've seen some of the advantages spoken to and actually, well, why don't let, let's tee that up, right? So for anyone who hasn't heard about this, the advantages of the re-corner system. If I'm a prospective client, I have commercial vehicles and I'm here about you guys, I'm interested. What's mm -hmm. the pitch? Like what's the advantages that that brings to them? And ultimately I'm curious about asking about how they go about implementing it and what roles are played, but at a high level, maybe the advantages of the corner system, uh, if you were to sort of yeah. summarize at a high level. Yeah, so let's let's go through this. So we've got the re-corner system is the foundation of what we do. And that, mm -hmm. like I said, that gives you a lot of the, all of the by-wire systems. So there's a number of things that come with that. Mm -hmm. You've got a flexibility of platform in that you can look at the, the dimensions of your platform, be it the wheelbase or the or the track of the vehicle. You're, you're not fixed by investment against a, a fixed dimension of your, of your platform. You can look at different wheelbases, um, you can you get a lot of performance benefits from the by wire system. We can talk quite a bit about this because it brings you essentially four independent drive units. So we can bring things like torque vectoring. We can bring regenerative braking on all four wheels. Um, we've got four wheel steer in terms of each unit can steer up to 30, 32 degrees. So you've got big deal for turning um, circle, could, turning radiuses. Yeah, yeah that's so huge. In, in urban environments, you can you can make you know the, the vehicle kind of go into spaces it probably shouldn't normally go into sure and and, and be quite um, maneuverable 
And that then also comes with a safety element. So when we talk about this, there's um, the, the amount of um, kind of software overchecks and redundancy we've got in our system and mechanical redundancy. It allows then to, to, to kind of step up the safety level. So we've got the ability in, in any environment to, to use the brakes and the steering and, and the traction to make sure that you keep that vehicle in a straight line, in a safe straight line, and 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 um, kind of deliver in in you know any kind of fault environment or any crash environment. You've still got a lot of elements that you can use to control the vehicle. Yeah. We talk about it fail operational. Yeah. So anything happens to the vehicle, it's operational. So so that gives you all of that. It also then allows you to kind of package everything that you need to, to, to build an electric vehicle within a platform on a very flat environment. We've got everything um, below the kind of um, in the floor. So you've got all of your high voltage systems, your cooling systems, your low voltage systems on a flat floor, yeah. which then allows you to have a whole flexibility about your top hats, as we call it, the body yeah. system on top of it. So you can have different configurations of one platform. So they could be a box van, it could be a walk-in van, it could be a camper van, it could be lots of different variants that you put on top of, of, of the platform because of the flexibility it gets, gives you. Um, we're all about modularity. We're all yeah. about saying, take our corners, use them in, in that flexible manner and allows you then to deliver a vehicle that is more bespoke for what the customer needs are than a generic vehicle that you then have to adapt to do what you want it to do. Sure, sure. No, it's fantastic. I, I think definitely my mind jumps to thinking about some of the, the hurdles that, you know, when you think about like redundancy of some of the mechanisms that control a vehicle and, you know, what happens if something fails when you've got four independent setups that all can break and all can steer and all can drive. Um, that's a fair amount of redundancy just just at base level, right? And then I imagine there's probably redundant power and additional con redundant controls that you guys have. But yeah, it, it, it's a fascinating departure from some of, I think the conventional way that we see clients think about uh, you know, covering their bases from a safety perspective. I think uh, your system, if it's all-wheel drive equipped especially, has a lot more levers to potentially pull. Um, and you know, it's fascinating to think, I, I know it said that the system is autonomous or capable of autonomy or autonomous capable. I was curious from the re perspective, does that mean, does re intend to take on the, the sort of onerous task of developing the, uh, the autonomous control system with the sensors no. and everything that's going to feed it, or just basically saying, Hey, you, you can feed us inputs and, and we can make this, make it drive and do whatever you need to do. Exactly what you just said. So okay. if you think we've, got, we've got a system that is, um, it's driver agnostic sure. is the term we use. So it could be a human or it could be a computer sure. because essentially the same inputs into our system are a torque demand, a steering or, or your demand that, that the platform takes. And when you look at a, when you look at autonomous applications, there's three elements to it. There's the kind of there's the vision or the perception of where I am. So all of the cameras, the lidars and the sensors, there's the the intelligence to say what to do when to do yeah and then there's the if you like then there's the robotic bit the driving bit sure. and that's the bit that we can provide yep. and that's the bit we can provide with no additional effort because the redundancy is there the you know the safety is there mm -hmm. so essentially that allows people then just to come along with their uh, autonomous system kind of uh, packs if you like and, and, sure. and plug it into our 
into our platform and um, and it's ready to go. That's awesome. And and that was that was my assumption prior to this conversation. And I was I was hoping because because we've seen this right where like initially, I think every OEM said, hey, we're going to design our own fully autonomous capabilities, you know, this stack. And it's just like you're seeing all these folks kind of back off of that and, and rely on the the mobilize and the and the folks like that. There are some there are companies that have really They've just gotten way more reps and miles and all this stuff and, and are designing kind of modular systems for that aspect of it that would pair nicely with, with something like you're mentioning here. So I think focusing on where in your wheelhouse is probably the smartest thing to do there, especially, you know, yeah. when, when resources yeah. are constrained. So we've got, a, we've, we've got a phrase that we use, which is the powered by re. Okay. So what, what, what we see is that we, we can provide corners and platforms that, that allow people to deliver whatever vehicle they feel is appropriate for their for their customers. Um, and whether you put a, a, a top hat that has a driver on it, whether you put a body on it that is a, a shuttle that is autonomous, mm -hmm. everything underneath that is powered by RE. And and it's almost, you know, a second label on the vehicle. We're not we're not looking to have our label on the front of it to say this is a re, re vehicle. We're looking to enable people to build their own vehicles. And it's a it's a it's a kit that they can go with then and say actually I want this wheelbase I want this width I want this uh, kind of performance put it together and then they can put their uh, their different systems on top of it as flexibly as they like. Yeah, no, it, it's something in and in, <laughs> it's funny because my next question is here. In principle, that all sounds like yep. a no brainer and it sounds really easy, but I guess I'm very curious too to understand. Um, so help me understand if I'm someone and I'm like, Hey, I'm really interested in this power by re system. I want this on my vehicle. Now, what do I do? Re, Hey, um, I want this in my vehicle. What are the next steps? And I guess like the integration to a platform or who's responsible for what, I guess maybe walk me through because right, there's going to be the rest of the architecture, other high voltage monuments and thermal systems. Yep. And a lot of things have to work together in tandem. So how does that sort of handoff work? between someone deciding they want to use a re-platform and then tailoring it to their application? Well, I think they can, there's lots of different options, but sure. if we talk about three, let's talk about three different options. The, okay. first, the, first, the first option is we can provide you with corners and all of our control system that goes with it. We have what we call a, a driver module, which is the, if you like, the driver steering wheel mm -hmm. with what we call the hand loader that gives you feedback, the pedals, our re-controller, and the corners and they can they can then integrate that into their chassis we can work with them in terms of all of the load cases and everything that goes with the integration of our corners we've got uh, we've got manuals that can support that and then they then build up their cooling system their high voltage their battery system. their charging okay. infrastructure all that so stuff that, okay. that's 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 one option okay the second option that and, and we've developed this more because we realize that is quite a challenge for sure, some customers sure is actually we can provide you with a platform a strip chassis as we call it yeah which is then all the mechanical chassis it's all the high voltage system the cooling system uh, the low voltage system mm -hmm. all ready for somebody to put a body on yep okay and they can decide what to do and we can then work with them we've got again we've got uh, all of the interface points defined all of the electrical software and thermal kind of interfaces defined so that you can then define what you want on top of our platform but we we provide you with a platform um, and we'd have a conversation about the what the wheelbase you want and whatever requirements that vehicle is but we can then we can engineer that for you um, and then the third option is we've got 
um, our cab chassis versions, which is then actually we've got a version that we're bringing out at the end of this year. We'll have on the on the, on the roads in in the US at the end of this year, which is which is a a cab variant. So we've then got a driver cab on top of our strip chassis, mm-hmm. um, with with all the driver controls, all of the um, uh, all the interfaces to the to the driver, the seats, etc standard cab chassis and it allows them people to put a different box on the back or whatever they feel they want to put on the back back of it got so you've got a number of different options that you can you can take yeah no it's fascinating and yeah and, and then the last variant there that's not atypical of you know existing commercial vans whether it be a transit or a sprinter or an express van whatever the case that so having it with just the cab and then allowing a box builder to make it into an ambulance or a shuttle bus or something sweet camper van, something like that, but cool. Okay, so a lot of different options there. And it sounds like the, so the, the third of those options is the one that we will see on the road first, it sounds like, is that yeah. correct? Okay. Yeah, so, so I've got, I mean, as I speak, we've got, um, we're, we're building the first kind of variants of that here in the UK um, in terms of the strip chassis. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got um, all of our kind of testing for the by wire system underway. We're starting our homologation testing on that in the next in the next month or so. Yeah. Um so yeah we we we've got that we've got that very much planned. Um and that will give you um a, a cab chassis I mean people that have seen our kind of uh, show stand at ACT this year mm-hmm. we we gave a, a demonstration of what that looks like. Um but we've got a, a, a you know a driver passenger seats cab with with a lot of a lot of benefits so you'll see that because of the flexibility of the corners you've got a very low step in height you yeah. can you only got um, two steps to get into the vehicle you've got fantastic vision because you can sit the driver on top of, or in front of the wheel so he or she has an amazing vision which again brings brings safety because we can put that steering where we want and um and it then gives you a lot of um a lot of space within the cab without compromising any of your cargo space at the back sure and actually, actually optimizing the cargo space at the back yeah and and that it, it that's one that like unless someone's climbed up into some of these alternative products that exist and and sat like in a cab over or set up and seen like you have to climb way up into the sky to get into it and look at some of the downward angles and how weird they are like that that's one of the things maybe sort of the driver centric visibility and accessibility that really jumped out to me when I saw folks like getting in and out of some of the versions of it. It's like that is massively different and something that I guess unless it's someone who's spent time in some of those products, they probably don't fully appreciate it just seeing it on YouTube or something. But that flat, yeah. that really that really compact Z sort of height of the system uh, does open up a lot of flexibility there that I'm sure will be a big draw for for the system in general. Yeah, and and maybe let's talk about so the, the the whole kind of EV commercial truck kind of um, offering we've got. What we want to bring with it is is actually it's a product that is that is great to drive as well. Yeah. So we we talked earlier when we've got the corners that it gives you that performance benefit. Um, part of my team, you know, the, the 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 team that work on vehicle dynamics and and kind of the the performance of the vehicle. They're all telling me this drives like an SUV. This yeah. doesn't drive. This doesn't drive like a truck. We've got a seating position that kind of is more like an SUV, because of the bi-wire system. You can tune that vehicle to to drive as to you want. To steer and feel and yeah. get feedback you know, however you want, got, essentially. Yeah, your, your, your center of gravity is very low. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got then um, you've Big got old battery down there. Yeah, but that allows. I think it opens up um, 
the market for people that, that want to use commercial trucks to maybe a, a whole host of new drivers that yeah. can actually drive these trucks because they're easy to drive and actually they're quite fun to drive. Yeah. My guys, my testing come back with a smile on their face every day. I haven't been out of them. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I've i always had like a soft spot for like uh, buses and vans and in my, I, I had like an old uh, VW bus that I converted like a, put a diesel engine in it that didn't belong in it and it was it was fun to drive but it was like i remember the steering wheel was huge and it was like really flat because you kind of had to lay over it and really horse it and i didn't bother to hook up power steering when i did the engine swap so i shot myself in the foot there but yeah i mean larger vehicles with especially some of the in that case i was sitting in front of the wheels but yeah i mean there's a there's an element to where to drive some of these vehicles there's like a, a physical size and strength limitation even mm -hmm. potentially and it sounds like that is sort of ostensibly no longer a barrier here which is pretty no longer a barrier. it open it opens up a lot more opportunities for people but it is it is and, and we can tune it as well and that's when we talk about this vehicle being actually a, a software vehicle because we can talk with customers as well because you've got the by wire system you can look at making the vehicle do different things so for example if we, if we find that the vehicle is loaded up we can control the top speed we can actually we can do that um fixed with with you know with code directly into the yeah. vehicle or we or we can use by wire system by um, over the air um to actually talk to, to to the system so we can bring in that element of safety or the, yeah. the use cases and you know we're constantly taking data from the vehicle so we know what it's doing we know how it's being used yeah and that again brings in the safety elements people how they use the trucks well and that's fascinating too i guess that never really occurred to me but you know i guess conventionally like thinking just about steering i guess if so if you know how fast you're going and how much you're loaded up you know i guess maybe you're saying hey if someone yanks the wheel and tries to jackknife this thing at speed we know that that's not a good idea um maybe yeah. now you can put bookends around it and keep keep it within a safe boundary that that's really something that I, I'm fascinated, like the whole, you know, we're seeing steer by wire has been talked about for years. And now, like, I think Lexus on the RZ450 might be the first to actually get it into production. Um, obvious advantages there in terms of cost and weight savings and taking away some of the mechanical linkages and obvious advantages in terms of being able to tune it, not having to go hand over hand, having variable ratios, things like that. But what, what was impressive to me is like, how how is it that Rhea is like beating a bunch of conventional players to the space with this. I think it's fascinating that, and kudos to the team for being basically on the forefront of, of by wire systems. We're seeing other folks do one or the other of these. And, you know, there's some vehicles yeah. we've seen that are in development that have brake by wire systems uh, that are coming to market, but you've got the steer by wire and you've got the brake by wire uh, both coming at the same time. I mean, what was that? I guess was that always like from the start part of the revision or how, how early was that decision made? And cause there's regulatory aspects that are sort of out of your control, right? I, I um, in terms of yes, getting it out. Yes and no. So I think to have, to have all three systems um, in the vehicle from day one was always, was always the, the plan or in the okay. corner was always the plan. Yeah. And um, because we, because we're controlling the software and, and I think we talk about that we're doing this very quickly but all the work we've been doing over the last couple of years has been based on a very very sound foundation of all the work that Rhea has been doing prior to that you know sure. so we're not we're not we've not just started two years ago there's been a lot sure, of work sure. been done 
prior to that on, on they didn't do any work until you arrived right and that's when that's yeah. when the magic started happening yeah so um so there's a lot of stuff there and i think we've got we've got control of the software we are we are developing it ourselves we've got a very rigid test regime that we're going through with it and mm -hmm. um we're working with some you know some fairly strong or, or established um kind of partners with that so for example american axle is our partner for our drive system mm -hmm. so we, we're working with them on their experience and we're bringing that in brembo is our is our brake partner yep so we're working with them on on that and we, we we've pulled a lot of um kind of knowledge together on that from our suppliers but also from our internal teams but then it's okay go it's going back to what i said at the start it's being focused and actually saying the first thing we do is we deliver the by wire system that is reliable and safe and then we can bring in the features that, that we just talked about um but if you're focused and you can you focus on first of all safety and performance base performance and reliability you get those three right then you can bring in the fancy bits later sure sure um um a lot of people get caught up in all the different scenarios you want to do with this you know we, we we've just talked about it you know or you can do it with weight sensing you can do with the different kind of tuning on the on the rates of the steering wheel yeah you can do all of that once you've got a solid solid foundation yeah and that and that's what we've been really laser focused on is getting that solid foundation in place yeah because that then allows you to do the bits well, and that and that's something that too, like I almost just like trying to wrap my head around like it's it would seem as though like there's a lot of neat elements of the system. But really, I mean, the, the magic is taking these four independently capable systems and having them all work in harmony, um, like the brains and the software of the system, I think, are, are probably uh, and mechanical is my background. So I always lean towards the mechanical yeah. stuff, but it seems like the software is probably really where from an effort perspective a, a ton of that has to be focused there right to make to bring this into to be uh, absolutely i mean if we i mean let's be really clear when we look at our corner we've got two two parts to our corner what we call the inboard and the outboard yep. and the outboard part is pretty standard engineering yep. it's suspension yep. arms it's springs it's dampers it's it's brake calipers it's wheels yeah it's pretty standard nothing nothing um you know special sure. there when we look in, when we look inboard we've got we've got a motor we've got a steering actuator we've got braking actuators and all of that the components exist yeah it's not, they're pretty industrially they're, hardened like you're working with established then, suppliers yeah but then as you just talked about the, the brains is in the software then yeah. and actually it's then in, in the in in this each corner has its own ecu which is our own kind of control unit with our own software in it. And then we've also got our recenter, which is the one that then coordinates between all four corners to control it. That's the magic juice. That's the bit yeah. that makes it all work. Yeah. And um, and that's the bit that we've really kind of been put, put in the time on. Sure. And um, yeah, there's been a lot of work done. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, it's fascinating. And I, I yeah, like I said, I mean, I, as far as the mechanical design, it, it's neat to see, and I think smart, right, to leverage the strengths of some of the existing well-established players versus trying to trying to come up with your own motors or, or bespoke solution to the extent that it makes sense. Um, you know, when people think of, of performance brake applications, Brembo's a name that pops to mind. It's pretty neat to see a fixed caliper Brembo setup on this, on this application. It doesn't seem like an area you're skimping at all. Um, now just talking about some of the physical components, I guess, and design choices there, um, you know, I, I was kind of 
geeking out over the different elements and kind of walking through it. It looks like, so obviously very aluminum intensive, primarily looks like castings, maybe some forgings in there. But again, I, I would imagine more typically in a commercial segment, you'd see more like kind of steel weldments, right? And a lot of stampings. Um, was the decision to go to aluminum primarily based on weight optimization or integration of a lot of different features into one or what was kind of, it was surprisingly aluminum intensive, I guess I would say when I first looked at it, what was sort yeah. of the driver there? So I think we are, we are aluminum intensive within the corner. Mm -hmm. Actually, when we go into our, when we go into our platforms and into our chassis, we're actually, we are actually mild steel and, and, and high, high strength steels. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so we've, we've got a lot of castings in there and we, we've, um, we we want to optimize the weight. I think that's a really that's a really key element sure. that, that we talked about. Um, we want to um, with, when we looked at the whole corner as well with the analysis we did, we wanted to with with the castings to get the right shapes and get get the the the, the footprint of the corner to be as small as possible. Because what we don't want is to is to go with this corner technology. You end up with a corner that is actually intrusive into the rest of the vehicle. <laughs> yeah. And it, it then goes away with it. Sure. But, so you've seen a lot of the castings have been done to, to optimize the space and, and the whole package that we've put together, you know, there's, there's not much, there's not much spare space in there. The, 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 the team that have done that have done a great job in terms of making sure we've got all the right clearances, but we've got as optimum package as possible. And, and the, the material selection and the kind of the processes we've chosen, I've allowed us to do that at the volumes we're looking at to do with. So it's sure. initial kind of, kind of, you could say low volumes, but the kind of hundreds and early thousands allows us to do that. We would look probably at some different methods if we go to a higher volume. Sure. But uh, but as the starting point to to get us there, this is the uh, the optimum process. Yeah. No. Excellent. And and like I said, it looks it it's apparent obviously like i said when we looked at the first version of it there was clearly some optimization that had happened the castings allowed sort of like a really shrink wrap design and you saw sort of structure only where it was needed or we thought we saw that and then we saw that structure shrink even further so yeah. need to see that uh continue there's to another key there's another key element to talk about that we with that we um evolved the corner from b to c is that when we first used the b corner um one of the key one elements i haven't talked about is that corner can be swapped very quickly yeah let's, so the, let's chat about corner, that yeah so the corner can be removed from the vehicle and replaced in less than one hour that's that's Which one of our key crazy i mean really quite crazy i there's almost nothing that you can do in an hour on a vehicle i feel like it you can't change a alternator yeah. in an hour <laughs> yeah so we talk about changing the whole electric powertrain, which is what you would do if you changed all four corners in less in, in four hours. Yeah. And my, my workshop team in the UK, I've got a challenge. I think they're down to about 25 minutes at the moment. So, wow. you know, one hour is our target, but we, you know, we've got to, we've got some Formula One teams in the UK that are swapping that corner really quickly. That's awesome. So, um, but when we, when we looked at how we did that with the first, the first generation, we then evolved it and actually worked out that going back to what does our customer need? Um, customers are going to have jacks. They're not going to have vehicle lifts. How are they going to do this? So we've we've optimized the corner so it only has horizontal fixings now. Mm -hmm. There's no mm -hmm. vertical. Fixings. So so just that, one that axis. Deck, yep. One axis to kind of deck deck the corner in. It also has an automatic connection now, so that when you deck the corner, all of the high voltage and low voltage systems are automatically um, engaged. There's no hands in there. There's no safety issues with Which kind is of getting. Get 
Yeah, which is crazy to think. So it's just like a bulkhead essentially that has your, what, your cooling and then your high voltage connections go in yeah. all together. Yeah, so as you, as you deck the corner, they, 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 they just automatically connect up and you're, you're connected. Okay. And dry break on the coolant so you're not having to drain the system or reconnect the system again. Oh, it's, wow, um, okay. Yeah, well, that's phenomenal. And I was, okay, and I, that was a question I was curious about. So like if someone opts to use this platform, say that they buy the uh, cab-equipped version, the third option that you had talked about later this yeah. year, they, they get one, awesome, love this thing, driving it around. Would, would, if they came to a scenario where a corner needed to be replaced, is it a situation where Re could sell them the corner and they have it on their shelf in their facility and they're doing that? Or does it need to go to like a special Re technician or center to, to, to do this? Oh, we talk about the corner being one part number, so so it's it's a part, and the idea is that you would you would have a, a spare corner stock, and if the corner for whatever reason be an accident or whatever needs to be replaced, um, we we've got we've got a process, we've got a um, the tools that you need to kind of hold the corner. The 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 the, uh, the, the customer can do that themselves. Okay, it's it, it's a fairly it's a very simple process. Got actually. it. And then there's the mechanical removal and install, and then there's yeah. like a calibration process, obviously that has to happen to sort of yeah. home and center everything. I'd imagine. Yes, yes. So we 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 uh, we align everything and everything that goes with that. But uh, and one of the things that we can talk about now is that I mean, there's a, bit of a fuzzy picture behind me, but it's actually our production line here in the UK. Oh, really? Okay. It, yeah. So when when we're actually manufacturing these corners, every corner is recorded, um, and we know where every corner is. So actually. There's there's the op there's the opportunity to reuse corners as well. So if okay. if a customer, for example, has a corner that's come off one vehicle, and it's maybe had a small repair on it, it can go onto a second vehicle, and we we then keep corner IDs. So it's not um you you're not got four corners for life on a vehicle. Sure. You've actually got the opportunity to um to continue the life of that vehicle by um upgrading the corners, um maybe even upgrading the body. But yeah. you've got the to, to, to get more usage out of your vehicle than just the, the lifetime of the, of the powertrain. And, and that actually is a fascinating aspect that I hadn't even really considered. Yeah, you know, you think about, you know, people aren't taking, if someone dings up one of their units or something in the field, like they're not swapping the engine out for the sake of saving costs. But if it was as simple as unbolting something in an hour and putting it on a shelf, I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, and I guess that answers another question I had, which was almost like, as, as amazing as it is that a sub one hour install and removal time, I'm like thinking like, I'm looking at the components on here and thinking like, I, I don't really see many of these components like being high fail items, right? To, to think that you would need to be replacing these very frequently. Um, so I guess I was, I was curious, is there like a, barring physical damage from like an impact scenario, what, what is the forecasted sort of on road or I don't whether it's miles or hours, how long should one of these things last in theory, barring yeah. any extenuating circumstances? So so our corner our corner's designed for a ten year life for um I think we're two hundred and fifty thousand kilometers is, is the base okay. is the base life of the corner. Um so you're right and all of those elements are sealed. So there is no serviceable element in the corner other than your brake pads, your brake fluid and your tires. And then all of those can be all of those can be serviced from the wheel arch without having to take the corner off. Got they're, it. They're, they're items. 
so you're right there is there isn't anything in there that needs to be that needs to be replaced or serviced so you would look to kind of upgrade your vehicle maybe take the, the corner off and get it um get it upgraded with with, with certain elements um but we're really we look we're looking more for kind of uh accident or kind of crash environments where if you want to if you want to replace that uh, that corner um you're not taking the vehicle off the road for two three four days to get it repaired you're taking it off the road maybe for two or three hours to change a corner and, and fix it up and get it back working again because we know these are tools these these vehicles are tools that our that our customers need to make money and uh, we need them on the road as much as possible yeah it's and fascinating there that so your ability you know, I guess if you write or if if one gets damaged, you can get back on the road more quickly, swapping one in. But also, I guess if a vehicle got dinged pretty hard and crunched in a corner, you might lose that one corner, but you could take those three and put them into your crib essentially to support other vehicles that you have on the road and recover. Obviously, a lot of the costs associated with the system is in those corner units, and those could be retrievable, which is a which is an interesting concept. Very yeah, neat. Exactly. Okay. And I, you know, I was interested too, I was thinking um, about other applications, like, you know, we've seen some of the obvious like box truck commercial applications, any vehicle that's roughly that shape or size. But I was curious about, in terms of other applications, um, I used to work at a company where we did like uh, conveyance solutions for inside of plants and a lot of automotive and tractor building, stuff like that. And we did autonomous guided vehicles, AGVs, and they would go around and and we were always working on trying to build this robust platform that could be flexible um, and serviceable. Serviceability in a plant environment is is paramount, right? Because downtime of the line is just like highly scrutinized, losing money by the second. So I was curious, like, is there is there any world where these might make sense, like moving for like uh, things that transport conveyance, like products along assembly lines or in warehousing? I'm curious, is there any thought of applications, maybe even off the road, but still doing work, but within other environments? I tell you, it's, it's, um, it, I always say it's our benefit and our downfall is that we've got <laughs> such, we've got such a flexible option Sure. That, that, that there's, that everybody comes along with all their great ideas. And I, and I think there are lots of, there are lots of applications we're looking at, like you say, commercial trucks, we're looking at on-road applications, we're looking at Passenger shuttles, um, passenger buses. Um, we're looking. We've had a, a few people talk to us about things such as um, airport transportation. We've had. We mentioned camper vans. We've had. Yeah. We've had lots and. I'll lots sign of up for one of the camper vans when that's yeah, yeah. the time. <laughs> so we've had we've had lots and lots of different applications come forward and and and, and look work at what we can uh, what we can do with it. But you're right. There is things, and one maybe one of the things I can talk about as well is that. There is a flexibility with the corner to say if we can get enough um, performance because um, the environment from just two motors, mm -hmm. we can decontent two of the corners and actually take the motor out and make it cheaper. And actually, then you can have a two wheel drive system mm -hmm. because it's as flexible as not installing that motor. Sure. Um, and so when we look at these applications there's 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 a world of opportunity for people to say how 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 can we use them um you've given us some good ideas there we'll have to look into that <laughs> no excellent well and i imagine that is like everyone's everyone can suggest stuff but uh actually doing it and and not letting that potential application distract you from the main goal i think is probably 
and that's 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 the, key, that's the really key point is that we like i keep saying we've been really laser focused to say we want to put our p7 product on the market we've got a cab chassis on the market we want to prove our product out there by having something on the road so people can drive everybody we talk to goes gee that's great brilliant lovely idea can i drive it <laughs> yeah and so that's what we're looking to do we, we, we'll have that product out there we've 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 got customers lined up. We're, we're putting that out at the end of this year. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I saw, so it looked like there was like a number of uh, uh, US-based sort of partners, those distributors that people would buy through or source them through. Um, yeah, yeah. Looked like, what was there, like five or six companies or something like that? So probably yeah, getting so coverage it, different areas. To be fair, my business, the business team has seemed to be kind of expanding it daily. So <laughs> I, my numbers won't be right, but we've got we've got a number of dealer networks that we're working with across across the US, mm -hmm. both regionally and nationally, that will be the, the point of contact for our for our trucks, and and they will have um they will have the first of our products, and they will be kind of distributing them out. But um, you know, keep looking at our website because the numbers keep going up. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine it's it's interesting too that the so the U.S. is the first market that they're debuting in. Obviously, yeah. selfishly, I'm sure you're looking forward to having them in the U.K. How how sort of quickly after the U.S. launch are, are you guys forecasting? I guess Europe initially and or other areas. I guess what is sort of the rollout plan? Our rollout plan is very much focused on the U.S. So we're focused okay. um, uh, on U.S. homologation this year, mm -hmm. um, U.S. product this year. And, and actually getting the product out there we've got we've then got plans to go not just to the not just to europe and the uk but uh, but also other regions such as japan mm -hmm. um they are following um we haven't got clear we haven't got definite dates but it's we are engineering a lot of the product to be applicable not just to the us but also to europe so when we when we put our requirements together as we talked right at the start of this is we don't just say this is just a europe uh, sorry, just the US requirement, we're actually incorporating the European requirements as well, so that we kind of put it together. Um, but, uh, but the US is, 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 is the first, first to market. That's the focus for the next, uh, for the next six months. Got it. Yeah. Getting, and getting, getting those trucks on the road. Yeah. And I'd imagine, right, because there's, it, I think across the nation, we're seeing there's a lot of municipalities and a lot of industries where people have, there, there's pressures, whether they be implicit or explicit right to to lower their impact and to start getting greener in their fleets and and i think it's been fascinating to see how initially there's like sort of a vacuum in that space and not a whole lot of offerings and so you've seen these companies and there's companies that are buying rolling chassis from you know ice platforms throwing away all the bits and putting in their own stuff with sort of off-the-shelf parts and it's it's been fascinating to see people kind of uh, attempt to fill this void, I guess, in the in the absence of uh, a large presence from legacy OEMs. I think now we're starting to see more legacy OEMs, like everything, okay, we're kind of moving in this direction, they're starting to play. But what I think is really neat about the re-system is like this is, there are some distinctly different, unique, advantageous elements of this that don't just make it seem like it's just another electrified roller like the whole modularity and the serviceability, the flatness of the package. There's there's definitely some things that are distinct about this that separate it from other class 
X offerings, you know, just in this space, which I, which I think is I'm obviously by design and unique, but it's, it's refreshing. I think there's definitely some things about this that make it stand apart from any of the other class two through seven things that I've seen at least. So, yeah, we're, 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 I go back to right at the start. We're trying to provide a, a mobility solution yeah. to our customers. We're not trying to provide a truck. So we're not, what you what you find at the moment is you you kind of have a truck and then you have to adapt things to it you know how does my how does my use case fit onto this how does my yeah. kind of body, body fit onto this we wanted we wanted to take this right from the start and say we want to provide you with a solution how are you how are we going to solve your your problem that you have you want to get goods from a to b you want to get people from a to b and um we've we believe we've got a really strong offering now with with the re corners and the re platform that allows people to uh, to go with that Excellent. Yeah. And it's, and it looks like, so focus on the U S here initially. And I think, so there's a, are you guys in the process of standing up a plant in, in Texas, I believe, or is that already in motion or what, where's that coming yeah. at? So that's coming up. So like I said, if you look behind me, we've got our, um, what we call our integration center in the UK. This okay. is where we, this is where we're manufacturing our first corners. It's our pilot plant. So the idea is that we've got the engineers that sit right next to the manufacturing facility for the first the first time we put it through. Which is awesome. This, this will this will build forty thousand corners a year. Wow. So okay. this is this is the this is the capability here. Um we build forty thousand corners a year with with uh, with seven operators. It's it's a semi robotic uh, line. Okay. It's, wow. it's, it's, it's there. This can be. This is being blueprinted and then copied into into Austin, Texas. Okay. Which then gives us another additional forty more. I think actually more than forty thousand there. So first start here in the UK, based off of we've got the team here, we've got the engineering here. We get it right. We get it perfect here. Then we just copy and paste first into Texas, second and third into whichever region we feel is the best for our customer base. Got it. Awesome. Yeah. And. Austin's like the hot place right now, so it, it's neat. You guys will be right in the hotbed of a lot of other interesting companies and things going on. I'm sure that was not yeah. by accident. Um, very cool. Yeah. No, this has been super fascinating uh, to learn more about this and to get to know you, Peter. I really appreciate the time today. Uh, I know it is it is it is a Friday and it is late in the day, and I think you may have some other obligations too that are knocking on the door. So I don't, I want to be respectful of your time and not take too long, but. I guess any last while we're on here, any last kind of thoughts or, or things you want to share about the remission or or just things that if someone's tuning in that you think they ought to know about the product? Um, no, no, I'm just I think where I started is this is um, I I've been around a long time. You can see I've got gray hair. <laughs> um, I, I've been in automotive a long time. This is the most exciting project I've ever worked on um, because I feel we're solving a solution. We're, we're solving what our customers want. We're solving um, a, a mobility uh, kind of system that also helps the planet. You know, we're, we're bringing along the kind of the EV side of things. Um, we've got a fantastic team and we've got a fantastic product and uh, look out for us on the roads at the end of this year. Yeah. Oh, excellent. And I might go a step further to say they have a fantastic leader and visionary on the team here, Peter. It's really neat to see. You can't fake being excited about um, – your product and your team and, and what you're doing. And it's been apparent through this whole conversation. This is the first time I've met you and it, uh, you seem pretty genuinely excited about this. So it's, uh, that definitely has come through and thank you for, for sharing this with us and with the listeners to the channel. Sincerely appreciate it. No, it's been, been great to chat. All right. Great. Well, 
Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in, as always, to the Monroe Live podcast. Huge thanks again to, to Dr. Dow for joining us, and hopefully you found today's episode interesting. Uh, definitely check back in for more to come, but thanks so much, and have a great evening.